Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You can be seated. I do appreciate uh, your participation in prayer and uh, also you being here this evening. Uh, I appreciate uh, several of you uh, with your uh, comment and your prayer uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was not able to be here. I don't, uh, I don't, <laughs> uh, it's been a long time. You know, there's a difference between uh, the flu and just like a cold. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I was down from Wednesday to uh, basically Sunday uh, with the flu. And I'm sure you can probably still hear in my voice uh, the congestion that goes along with all of that. So uh, I'm not 100%, but I'm on my way, uh, as the song says. So I do appreciate uh, all of your prayers. Uh, and with all of that, I, I uh, understood I didn't get uh, uh, to go through everything, but understood that you guys had a, a young man that was instantly in season. Uh, I was doing my very best to try to get here, but then finally about 3 o'clock, I'm just like, hey, you got to, we're going to have to figure something else out. I can't uh, get up out of bed. So uh, I think you had more uh, than adequate uh, fill-in. Uh, praise God. I understood that uh, Brother Mike McGurk uh, did a wonderful job. I'm not sure uh, exactly what he taught, so I'm not sure if he uh, taught my notes or if he took good notes, or whatever. <laughs> so uh, tonight might be uh, a little bit of a reverb uh, and an echo of what uh, that first night was, but uh, the essence of teaching is repetition. Amen. So uh, if you get to, get to hear it again, uh, well, I guess that means that uh, the Lord just needed you to hear it again. Uh, amen. <laughs> so... Uh, this is uh, altar working, is uh, what they titled this class. I will tell you in advance uh, that this is less about altar working uh, and, and more about you. Uh, so if, you, if the intent of you attending this class and signing up for it was, was to uh, learn how to uh, pray until hell busts wide open or, or uh, heaven falls down, uh, we might get to that, uh, but we're first going to go through uh, you and what it takes for you uh, to be ministered and used like that and still be saved. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's quiet in here. Praise God. Y'all just absorbing already? Okay. So, uh, with this, uh, I will uh, first tell you that I, I'm going to do my very best uh, to get you out of here uh, before the witching hour of 9 p.m. so that your vehicles do not turn into a pumpkin uh, in the uh, parking lot. But, however, uh, if the Lord moves and, and uh, I get lathered up about all of this stuff and we, and we press on, uh, let me say right now, you are dismissed in the fear of the Lord. Uh, whenever you need to go, uh, you, you are uh, free to go. And uh, we'll just keep going until, uh, until the Lord gets done. Amen. How many of you want to be used of God? Amen. All right. That's a good Baptist head nod. Give me some faith. How many of y'all want to be used of God? Amen. All right. Well, um, so like I uh, said previously, I, I, the only thing that I know to do is to probably really start at the beginning here. So... 
out of all of this, the first class and then getting ready for this, I, I will uh, tell you that I, I'm not 100% convinced of this, uh, but it could be uh, that the Lord is is uh, moving on me to write a book uh, about some of this stuff. So this, uh, this evening, I'm going to try to cover uh, basically first four chapters, maybe first four uh, concepts. Uh, the first thing that we're going to cover is the history and the origin uh, of the altar, and then we're also going to cover the purpose and the process uh, of the altar, and then uh, going to cover one key concept here, and that is is that ministering at the altar requires a life placed on the altar, and then faith is a process, and so those are hopefully the four big box things that we get to tonight. But that's a that's a that's a lot to digest, so we'll just see how the Lord. Uh, goes here. Amen. So <clears throat> with uh, the history and the origin uh, of the altar, uh, I want to, I guess, start off by this is probably one of the biggest misconceptions that people have in general about altar working, right? That's real, you know, that's churchy uh, in that if you talk about altar working, uh, most people, their concept of altar working is what's done uh, up here in between the, uh, the, the last pew or the first pew, I guess whatever your uh, viewpoint is, uh, and the platform or the pulpit, right? And that altar working uh, is some performance that occurs uh, by the spiritually gifted up here. Amen. That, can I get one amen out of that, right? Amen. That's, uh, that's, that's the concept uh, that most people have. But the reality of it is, is that uh, that's not biblical at all. At best, that is a traditional concept that has been passed down uh, through church. So one of the, uh, the very first things that we've got to understand if we're going to be uh, learning how to work the altar is to understand what the altar actually is. So, to begin with, the history of the altar is the first recorded mention uh, in the Bible of an altar is when Noah uh, comes from the flood, exits the, uh, exits the ark, and the scripture says, I believe it's uh, Genesis chapter 8, uh, says that uh, there he builded an altar. And that was the that was the that is the first recorded instance of where someone of where altar is mentioned. So, a couple of things there, right? First of all, uh, he builded an altar. So wherever wherever he was was where he made the altar. Wherever God said, "Hey, this is the altar," Noah is the one. Noah is the one that actually constructed that altar. None of us, uh, Brother Whaley's not here today. Well, I see Brother Bishop. Okay, maybe there are a few of us that built this altar <laughs> up here, <laughs> but the great majority of us, none of us constructed this, al- this area up here that we so commonly refer to as the altar, right? Uh, so that, that is the first place in Scripture that the word altar is actually mentioned. And the Hebrew word, 
literally means to slaughter. That is that is the that is the essence uh, of of uh, altar in the Old Testament was that it was a place of slaughter, right? And if you go, there's some notable uh, notable places in Scripture uh, when it comes to uh, the altar itself. So Noah was the first one. Please don't do this. Noah was the first one. Jesus' name. Does anybody have my notes? Well, glory. There it is. The Lord has provided. Um, Abraham built altars. Um, Isaac built altars. Moses erected an altar. Most of the great people that we aspire to be like built and erected altars. In fact, if you go back and you find in uh, the you know the people that we really aspire to be like that challenge us and inspire us in the Old Testament, what you'll find is is that they were altar builders. That's what they that's what they did. So in Leviticus chapter nine, in uh, verse twenty two, is anyone running the? No, okay. So maybe you, you can uh, find it yourself. We'll just have a sword drill here, a non electronic sword drill. Does anybody have your Bible? Anybody know what your Bible looks like? It looks like your phone, right? <clears throat> so Leviticus chapter twenty two. And uh, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22, uh, you find the first recorded instance here of where uh, an altar was answered upon. Uh, So scripture says, verse 22, and Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces." This is the first recorded instance that I can find in my study that God actually answered, physically answered, something that was put on the altar. They built an altar, they sacrificed on the altar, and then the Bible says that literally fire fell out of heaven and consumed that altar, consumed what was on that altar, that sacrifice that was on that altar. Good to see you, my friend. That's pretty, that's, I mean, any of y'all, would y'all like to see fire fall from heaven? What do you say, a little scary? Yeah, depends on where it's falling, right? (laughs) If it's falling in close proximity, not so much. (laughs) But you think about that, that, that's a, wow. I mean, wouldn't everybody in here, wouldn't you want to see fire fall from heaven? We got one one person that raised their hand, and a bunch of folks, a bunch of folks. I'd I'd love to see fire fall from heaven. 
and, and consume something. Amen. Maybe a little bit later, we might find out that it still does. <laughs> so here is a pattern that God begins to establish in Leviticus that, that uh, they, they bring the congregation together. They slaughter and put, they put a sacrifice on the altar. And God answers. God literally comes down and fire consumes that sacrifice that is on the altar. It's a very important concept uh, about here and, and really a key principle uh, of the altar is that uh, there are two basic characteristics of an altar that I want to make sure that you understand. And that is, is that an altar is not a space in between you know, this pew and this platform. An altar can be at your house. Altar can be in your car. Altar can be in Starbucks. An altar can be at someone's uh, kitchen table that you're, you're teaching a Bible study to, their couch. There are essentially two characteristics of any altar that are common to every altar. And that is, number one, is that it is a place of distinction. Most altars, when they, when they were erected, they were erected in an elevated place to where that everyone that was around them could see that altar. It's a place of distinction. It's a place of renown. Amen. I'll prove it to you. Sister Johnson, how long have you had the Holy Ghost? 33 years. Where did you receive the Holy Ghost? Downstairs. You remember the day? What day? April 2nd. How long have you had the Holy Ghost? 45 plus years. You remember where you received the Holy Ghost? Say that again. Texaco Youth Camp, left end of the altar, June 14th, 1972, about 8.30 at night. Brother Gross, how long have you had the Holy Ghost? 40 years. Do you remember where you got the Holy Ghost? <laughs> Windsor Avenue. There, an altar. If you, if you have ever truly visited an altar... You can take everybody around you right back to that altar. <laughs> the time, eight o'clock, roughly eight o'clock, something like that. The day, I'd take you to Fayetteville, Arkansas, First Pentecostal Church, right uh, uh, side of the pulpit on a Thursday night, October twenty second, nineteen ninety five, and that was the very first time that something came out of my mouth that I didn't understand, and I went. That is weird. What was that? <laughs> because every altar, there is a distinction with that altar. <clears throat> I can take, I can, in my mind, I can take you to the very first place of where I prayed some, helps uh, someone pray through to the Holy Ghost. I, I can take you to, to the spot in my mind, the very first place that God healed me physically healed me because the altar 
is a place of distinction. It's a raised, elevated place. The second characteristic about every altar is, is that it is a place of change. Whatever goes up on that altar, when it comes off that altar, is not the same. I, I got up off that altar in Fayetteville, North, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I went to the altar an alcoholic. And I got up off that altar and I've never had a drink since. Cold turkey. God changed me. Something happened in my life when I was there. So every, the altar is not a physical location. The altar is where we build it. We have the power to build an altar at our home. A family altar in our new home, right? We have the power to build an altar at our school. We have the power to build an altar at our youth group, at our job. Everywhere we go, we contain the power to be able to build an altar because of our relationship with God. But that altar, the characteristic of that altar is, is that it is a place of distinction. When you go to that place, you know that that's the altar, right? And it is a place of change. And if there is no change on the altar, if nothing changes, nothing happens, is it an altar? Absolutely not. Let's, uh, let's look at First uh, Kings chapter 18 here real quick. Let's look at a, another place, another altar, and explore that. <clears throat> Oh, here we are. This is uh, Elisha, Elijah, and uh, Ahab. And, and the setting of this is that uh, this, this is where Elijah has prophesied to Ahab and has basically said, because you've done what you've done, you've forsaken the Lord, it's not going to rain. Not going to rain on the land, Right? And so uh, Elisha, he sends word and says, Hey, Ahab, get you and your boys, all your prophets, and y'all meet me at Mount Carmel. And uh, basically, we're going to have a, a throwdown uh, at the top of this mountain. And so he, he, he gets there. Everybody uh, arrives, right? And uh, Eli, uh, Elisha, in verse 21, comes and he, and he makes this statement. He says, uh, he came unto all the people and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Then said Elisha unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets or 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. 
and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And you call on the name of your gods. And I'll call on the name of the Lord. And then he makes this statement. He says, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Now, I, I, because I'm trying to teach about three lessons or th- three nights worth of stuff in one night, I don't really have I'm, I don't have enough time to plumb the depth of this. So I'm just going to hit the hit the high points here. Well, there was a drought in the land, and uh, and Elisha uh, Elijah makes this this uh, proclamation. And they come to Mount Carmel, and I, I wish I uh, would have thought to put the, uh, the, the picture up here uh, for you. And there's, there's 450 of them, right? So there, there's roughly, in all told, the best I can tell, there's, there's about you know, 600, 700 people. And anybody, in your mind, let's just, let's just poll here. Billiam, <clears throat> you paying attention? How, how large do you think that the top of Mount Carmel was? In your mind, do you have any idea? How big? Pretty big. <laughs> like the size of this property? The size of this sanctuary? Where, where, they were, where he called the, the throwdown? What's that? Pretty big. You you think it probably like the parking lot, the building. It was about the size of this center section, right here. He he was eye to eye with all of them, and I mean there wasn't it was it was you know mano a mano. You know you got your God, you take your bullet. I got my God. I'm gonna take my bullet. You do what you're gonna do, and then I, and 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 I'm gonna do what I what I do. But it's very curious to me that he said, "Put no fire under it." You guys ever noticed that before? Of why he did that? Anybody know why he did that? Why he made that statement? The reason is is that that Ahab and Jezebel had turned Israel. From God, and they and they were serving Baal, but because of Leviticus, and that the children of Israel that 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 the that all of those Jews had seen divine fire fall from heaven, what they were having to do was to trick the people, and so when they would go and sacrifice up into that to that point, what they would do is they would get fire. And put it up under the up under the the altar, and then they would snuff that fire out, and then they would dress the dress the sacrifice, put the sacrifice on the altar. I'm talking about the false prophets, and then they would kick that where the, you know up under there. They would remove it where the air would get to it, and all of a sudden, divine fire fell, and how they how they turned them from serving the living, the true one living God to serving Baal was that they counterfeited what was in Leviticus. They counterfeited 
what was the principle that God had established. So when Elisha steps up and he says, okay, here's your, here's your bullock, here's your altar, here's my bullock, but, but don't do anything, don't put any fire under this, because this is the way that you've been beguiling all of Israel. And today, in this little bit of space up here on this mountain, we're fixing to find out who's God, who's truly God. So, you, maybe you don't know the story, but the prophets of Baal, they dress up their, their, uh, their sacrifice. They lay it up there, and man, they start doing everything under the sun, right? I mean, they're, the, the Bible says they're even cutting themselves. They're shouting. They're yelling. Matter of fact, if you really study that out, what you'll find is, is that everything that those false prophets are doing is principle that God had established in Israel for praise. They're trying to do everything that they know to do to get God, because they know that that's how, that's how the real God came down. So they're cutting themselves, they're trying to spill blood, they're trying to do, you know, all of the things that they know that God, the true God, had responded to. And so in the middle of all that, that's where Elisha steps in and he starts talking complete smack. I mean, you want to know where trash talk started on a basketball court? It was Mount Carmel. You just read this chapter right here. Because Elisha steps up and he's like, maybe you ought to shout a little louder. Peradventure your God is asleep. Maybe he's off on a walkabout, right? Shout a little louder. You know, all, I mean, he's, he is just ripping them. And remember, like, like uh, Billiam said, I mean, he, it's a, it's a rip. I mean, he, <laughs> it's not like he's shouting from afar, talking trash to them. It's like he's like here to here talking trash to them going well you know maybe he's asleep maybe he can't hear you etc and then this thing and then Elisha says this let me find this because this is an extremely important point so Elisha mocked him verse 27 cry aloud for he is a god either he's talking or he's Pursuing or is in journey or peradventure he sleep must be awakened. Cut themselves knives and lances, and it came to pass when midday was passed, and they prophesied until the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Let me make you let me let me tell you a key concept of learning. How to, how to be a good altar worker is that there is a time to everything under the sun. And when you are ministering to someone, you've got to be very careful that what you are ministering is of the timing of God. <clears throat> I would say it to you like this, that timing many times is more important than content. Because you can come with the right I mean, you can be 
right on, 100%. The Lord showed me thus and thus, right? But if that person is not ready to receive it, if it's not time in their life, all you're, all you're doing is you're, just, you're missing the time of the evening sacrifice. You're like one of these prophets that's flopping about because it's not going to profit the person. So at the time of this evening sacrifice, Elisha steps up. I don't remember what the, what the count is, but Brother Spriggs, I think it's like 54 words. I mean, these cats have been at it all day, you know, hopping around, cutting themselves. And, and, but at the time of the evening sacrifice, and, th- and this is the, the point, is that if you get the timing right and you get the principle right, you don't have to have a lot of a hoo-hoo and emotion and all of that. All you've got to do is have the faith to step into that situation and speak what God has spoken to you. So Elisha stands up, he prays a I don't know, 50 word prayer, and what happens? Fire, divine fire, falls from heaven and consumes. And, and, and before that, he told him, he said, go and get water, right? They're in a drought. <laughs> go and get water and put it all, and, and the reason he was doing that is so that he wanted everyone up there to know that this is not a counterfeit. There's, there's no strange fire up under this, up under this, up under my bull. Nothing. There, I put all of that away. Now here's another concept that I'll quickly tell you. Is that, uh, well let me ask it like this. You can't play because you, you were in the class uh, last time. Why is it, I mean they, they were in a drought, Brother Teets. <clears throat> so why is it? That God didn't answer with rain, but he answered with fire. I mean, their need was, they needed water. What's fire going to do for you in a, in a drought? You ever thought about that? No? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> why, why, why did God answer by fire? Why did he establish this principle that he would answer by fire? This is just a side note, right? But when you're studying the Word of God and every place that you find the words God is, you probably should dig a little bit deeper there. Because when you find those words, these these concepts like God is love, God is light, God is one, God is a consuming. What you will find is that when you dig down into those statements, you will get the revelation of the very nature of God. So the, 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 the answer to that is, Brother Teets, is that God didn't choose fire. God is fire. He is a consuming fire. And he's not just any fire, but he's a consuming fire. And the reason for that is, is because does, does anyone, who am I, who are my chemistry folks down here? The, the little ones on the, on the front row. Any, you are? You're chemistry? Your daddy'd be so proud of you. <laughs> do you, do you know, how, do you know that, that 
fire is actually the result of a chemical reaction? You did. You know what it's called? Flame of... Yeah, right. That's right. (laughs) Very good. Do you know how that something catches on fire or that it's flammable? From a spark. It's called oxidation. When something catches on fire, Stephanie, it literally oxidizes. And the only difference between something catching on fire and something rusting, because it is the exact same chemical process, is that to catch on fire, you don't give up all your heat and energy to the things that are around you. But if you've got so much stuff that's going on around you that when God comes down and and starts a fire and you're giving off so much energy to this world and to this this time and the things that are going on, what will happen is, Marty, you'll rust before you catch on fire. It's the exact same thing. The only difference between you rusting and you catching on fire is how you interact with this world, with the things that are around you. Because God is a consuming fire. God's going to do, God's going to be who he's going to be. The choice is ours of whether we're going to rust or whether we're going to catch on fire and let everything that is not like God be consumed. See, here's the, here is the principle. God is fire. And everything God cannot change, Brother Spriggs, he is immutable. The book says that he, there's no shadow of turning. He can, there's not even the hint that God can change. If God changed one iota, one atom, he would cease to be God. So what happens is, is that God is fire, and everything that fire comes in contact with, it consumes. It changes it on a molecular level through oxidation. Because the principle of the scripture is, is that every altar is a place of change. When you put something on the altar, it changes it. And the reason, Brother Teets, that God chose fire is because he is, he is fire and everything that he comes into contact with that is not like him is what is consumed. The way that I'm not an alcoholic anymore is because the divine fire of God fell into my life and my heart and it burned up. It consumed every worldly desire that I would have for the taste of alcohol. It's not because I'm better than the alcoholic. It's not because I'm different. It's not because of my family or my background, or my upbringing, or some class that I went to. The only difference is, is that divine fire worked in my life. So the the very reason that when Moses was on the backside uh, of the desert, and, and he saw the burning bush, and the bush was not consumed, was because it was a theophany of God. It was a representation of God. 
And because God can't change, when Moses saw that bush that it was burning and was not consumed, he knew that that was God. So here's the principle is that when at the altar, everything that is placed on the altar goes through a change because divine fire falls. Now, let me give you this principle as well. I, I know I'm absolutely all over the place, but hey. Let's go to Numbers chapter 31, verse 21. I'm just going to read off my iPad. I'm going to get technology upgrade, you guys. <clears throat> Here, the scripture, num- Numbers 31, verse 21. Say amen when you got it. All right, and Eleazar the priest said unto the men of war, which went to the battle, this is the ordinance of the law, which the Lord commanded Moses, only the gold and the silver, the brass, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that may abide the fire, you shall make it go through the fire, and it shall be cleaned. Nevertheless, it shall be purified with the water of separation, and all that abideth not the fire, ye shall make go through the water, and ye shall wash your clothes on the seventh day, and shall be clean, and afterward ye shall come into the camp. And the Lord spoke, spake unto Moses, saying, Take the sum of the prey that was taken, both of man and beast, and thou, and Eleazar the priest, and the chief fathers of the congregation, and divide the prey into two parts, and between them, that took the war upon them who went out to battle and between all the congregation. So here is an ordinance that God gives about the spoils of war. That when all everything that can go through the fire, God said you've got to put it through the fire. So that it's tried. So that it can be clean. And if it can't abide the fire, it's got to go through water. Now, real quick sidebar, this is the reason that there is water baptism and spirit baptism. Because we are made in the image of, so when we are water baptized, we go through the water. When we are spirit baptized, we are baptized with fire. So that our outer man is purified by the water of separation. But our inner man is purified by fire. So the reason that we believe and teach that it takes both water baptism and spirit baptism for a person to be saved, for them to enter into the kingdom of God, is because it is a principle. It is an ordinance that God established that he is a consuming fire. But not all of us can be consumed because we're made in the image of God. Did you get that? Or did it, it just seems like that just went right. So the reason that he said that you've got to be water baptized is so that you could, you could go through and that the, it, the part of you that is made in the image of God, that that could be purified in the waters of separation. This is the same principle of why that when God brought Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus, it took them, it took him basically four days to get Israel out of Egypt. 
And as soon as he went through the, the Red Sea and stopped the winds, and the Red Sea came down and killed everything in Egypt that was pursuing them, God separated them from their past. So it took four days to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Because there was no fire. Because God was working on the outside. Trying to get on the inside. But how much more of a better covenant do we have these days? Because it doesn't take 40 years. Now it's a process. But it doesn't take 40 years for the fire of God to fall on you. And everything that's not like God in you to be consumed up. And burn up. It's just your choice. What are you going to put on the altar to allow God's fire to be able to consume that? So the history and the origin of the altar is, <clears throat> is that the, the, the altar is a place of distinction. Every time that man has visited an altar, man knows it is a renowned event in their life. Every man can take you back, I say man, every human, every woman, every man can take you back to the, to the place that God first visited them in a, on an altar. You know the time, the date, the location, you remember what it smelled like. Most of you remember what you went and ate for fellowship after you got done with church, right? You, rem, you remember that. But the second characteristic is, is that there is always a change that occurs at that altar. And God ordained that, that it would be fire. He ordained that he was, uh, that his nature is that he is a consuming fire. And that's why he used fire on every altar. Amen. So now, fast forward into the New Testament, and you'll find... That, uh, that God still uses fire. He still uses fire. And if you'll allow me, I, I, I just, I really feel to kind of skip ahead here. <clears throat> is, uh, so the way that God uses fire, is this okay? Y'all bored yet? <clears throat> the way that God uses fire is that when we first receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, You'll remember the principle there that it talked about that, uh, that they took the, they took the sacrifice and they cut it in pieces, right? So when the Bible says that, uh, Acts chapter 2, somebody help me here. Now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were one place, one accord, and the Bible says, and there came from sound, uh, came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire. Anybody know what that word cloven actually means? Divided. So what happened was, and I, I think I've taught this before, what happened was, was that God, when, when we give up control over our tongue to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what we're doing is we're laying ourselves on the altar. That is, that is the division that's occurring. The sacrifice is being cut 
and laid on that altar. And what appeared unto them was cloven tongues like as a fire, meaning that everything that wasn't like God, when you got the Holy Ghost, whatever it was that you, as much of you that wasn't like God, that you could put on the altar, when divine fire fell, it consumed it. Now thank God, thank God, that that's not the last time that divine fire fell in my life. Maybe it's just me and, and, and two other folks, right? Because when I, got up, when I got out of the altar, Sister Milton, I was still living in a fraternity house. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> Let's just say that my steps had nigh well slipped. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that I got up perfect or perfected off that altar. I got up changed. But I got up with a process in my life to where that I knew, and there was a distinction in my life, Sister Lewis, I knew that God had touched me, that God had changed me. And so every time that God began to deal with me, more and more and more, I began to put more of me on the altar. I got you. We're going to get everybody's money. It's fine. Right? And, and that's the process. Of that when I when when you prayed through, thank the Lord. There's less of you than when you prayed through. And the reason that there's less of you is because divine fire continues to fall in your life. Now let's skip ahead for just a second. Let's go to Romans chapter uh, twelve, and let's just talk about the. So that's the the history and the origin. Of the altar, I tell you what, this is probably a good spot since y'all are hovering over me. Everybody get your wallet out, take all your money. These guys are going to, can y'all pass it down, pass it around, or do we want to march? Let's pass it, okay. So God is a consuming fire. Let's talk about the will of God and God's fire continuing to fall in our life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Does anybody have that? We're starting to lose my voice. Okay, sis, can you, can you read it? Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove. This word prove is a, is a rather unique word in the Greek. And basically, what it means, Brother Lohenheim, is to test with the intent of approval. And the reality of it is, is that it, it is a metalworking term to where that you can assay steel and be able to determine how much impurity is in there or not. And the word picture here, Brother Marty, is, is that there is a refiner that is refining 
our life. Silver, gold, anything that can abide the fire. <clears throat> and he's got that, that liquid, that molten liquid, right? And he's putting fire to it. The fiery trial of our faith. All of the pressure in life. All of the things that, that, uh, that create heat and friction, right? And the reason that he's doing that is, is that because the more fire, the hotter that he gets that metal, what happens is, is that all of the impurities that are a part of that metal will come to the top, will rise. <clears throat> and, and the word picture here is, is that when we are proving what the will of God is, is that we, that all of this heat is put into our life. And when we look down into the perfect mirror of the word of the Lord, and we see those impurities, we cannot see our reflection because those impurities cast the reflection. And, and the, what we do is you take a, a skimmer, looks about like a wooden spoon that my, my grandmother used to use. And that, that refiner will, will dross off the impurities. And then they'll put more fire to that. And eventually when that, that metal that they are trying with that fire gets so pure that there's not enough impurities to come to the surface, the refiner will look over onto the surface of that metal and be able to see their reflection. <clears throat> In other words, when you get enough impurity out of your life and you lean over that, you'll no longer see you. You'll just see God. So the way that we test what the will of God is, and this, this is truly uh, about the, the process or the procedure to be able to understand what the will of God is, is that when all of these trials, all of the friction, all of the heat that's going on in our life bubbles up those impurities. Now, some of y'all are looking at me like an old mule looks at a new gate. <laughs> well, let me say it like this. How many of y'all ever said, man, I can't believe I said that. How many of y'all are aggressive drivers? I, I, will, <laughs> I will confess. <laughs> this, I, I believe that the speed limit is a suggestion. <laughs> Possibly a minimum. I believe it's a suggested minimum, right? I mean, you really want to know what's inside of somebody, just let them drive around in Baltimore and D.C., and all the beautiful, wonderful folks that are made in the image of God that should not have a driver's license. <clears throat> I'm not saying anything about them. I'm just saying they shouldn't be operating vehicles. And, all, and maybe it's just me, Brother Gross, but all of a sudden I'm like, man, how could, why am I so mad? Now that's just, that, you know, that's just a, a common example. Let's talk for a moment. 
How much can you how much can your boss get up under your skin, huh? When he sends that email out, not that I ever do this, you know, five till five. Hey, uh, when you get a moment, could you send me such and so and so, which is code for I want this now. (laughs) Been thinking about it for a while and now I'd like to really investigate this, right? I mean, a boss can get under your skin. A spouse. Just snuggle her up a little bit. We're not talking about you. We're not talking about y'all. We're talking about uh, we're talking about other married folk in here. I'm sure y'all don't have any problems. I said that, Brother McGucky, and he just he just pulled her in a little bit closer. Like, Baby, that's not us. <laughs> you know, you you really it take family can get under your skin like no one else. And if you really Want to know what's in you? You know what's in you? Just go to a family reunion. Or have family over. Or, you know, get, get just, cause, cause all that fire and all that friction and all of a sudden you're like, Lord have mercy. How did that get in me? And the Lord's like, that's been in you all the time. <laughs> but now the decision is, are you going to rust? Or are you going to put that on the altar? And, and let me burn up everything that's not like me. All the impatience. All the unlove. All the unkind words. You going to let me have that? Or are you going to hold on to it? Because if you hold on to it, you know, you'll die with it. So here it is that, that, this, that, that this process is going on continually in our life. That we are to be, we are to be able to prove, to test with the intent of approval. And the scripture says, sis, it says that, that we may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So I've got, I've got a question for all you theologians. Are there three wills of God? Or just one will of God? One will of God. There's one God, so let's say that there's just one thelema, right? One desire that God has. So what in the world is Paul talking about here, assuming that Paul wrote Hebrews, that you can prove what is the good, what is the acceptable, what is the perfect will of God? Here's the key principle. If you're going to, lo- if you're going to be an altar worker and you're going to work the altar, you're going to have to live on the altar. If you're going to have help people by, through ministry have divine fire fall in their life, you're going to have to know how to have divine fire fall in your life. And if you can't do it in your life, please, please, for the love of God, for the sanity of your pastor and the ministry of this church, please do not minister. Because if you don't know how to handle fire in your life, it's going to be a train wreck. It's going to be a series of meetings to try to undo what you've done in your, in, in, in mishandling of fire in someone's life. Because if you don't know that, hey, <laughs> there's been things in my life that I, I just, God was talking to me about it, 
But I wasn't ready to put it on the altar. Is that just me? Just me? Because I'm just getting mad if it's just me. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, has anybody ever gotten up off an altar before and is like, thank God the Lord has touched me. I, I left some things behind. And then you're like, man, why did I not do that like six months ago? Why, why did I carry all that around for six months, for nine months, for six years? You know, b- b- just back breaking, back bending weight. Whereas just one encounter with God, when I truly gave it up, God, divine fire fell. So you've got to know the timing of God. If you know that it takes the timing of God, you know how to handle fire in your life. Then you're going to be able to minister to other people. So let's talk about divine fire in your life. So, Reverend Kevin, why is it that he says good and acceptable and perfect will of God? What is he talking about there? Three... Three, have you heard me teach this before? Uh, you, you, can't, <laughs> you can't play there. What he's talking about here is our growth. God can't change. But as we grow, God begins to talk to us about different things. I'll give you an example. When you first prayed through, God did not talk to you about giving up your home, and moving to a faraway land and becoming a, a, a missionary. or I mean, he just didn't do that. And the reason is, is because God is fire. <laughs> and he knows. And, and he knows his timing. Most of us, when we, got, when we got up off the altar, the very first thing that God started talking to us about, Alan, was the difference between good and evil. That's where we were. And we started, and God began to deal with us about the difference between good and evil in our life. And that's all he could deal with us about. Because we're so immature in in, in the Lord, we're learning, we're learning of him, that if he would have started dealing with us about the deep things, what what would we have done? You want me to do what? What? You want me to pray every day? Wait, 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 wait. I don't know about that. Give up my time? You want me to be nice to people when when people are being ugly to me? What kind of a deal is this? All God begin to all God starts to talk to us about whenever we, whenever we first come to Him is the difference between good and evil, and that's really the amount of faith that we have to be able to put evil up on the altar. I've had a question come up over and over in ministry. And and it's this. Why is it that that it seems like that when someone someone comes into the kingdom, that the first thing that uh, that, that they begin to realize that God begins to deal with them are... That they, all they hear 
from the pulpit in ministry is about their money. Brother Spriggs, you ever thought about that? I mean, how common is that when you're when you're ministering to people? It's like, man, all they're all they're worried about is money. Well, the book says that the root of all evil is the love of. <laughs> so the reason that all you hear is because God's dealing with you about mammon. Whether you're going to serve mammon or you're going to serve God. Because he's trying to get evil out of you in that initial stages of growth. He's trying to get you to put everything evil in you on the altar. The same process. So he goes about that. Those are the things, the initial, the initial stages of when we're growing as a Christian. God begins to deal with us about good versus evil. And, and we, it's the same process. We look over and see dross, get it out of our life, get that impurity out of our life. And it's the same process. We put that on the altar and God consumes it, everything that's not like him. And then somewhere along the lines, after we learn that, right, God really begins to deal with us about other stuff, about what's acceptable. Scripture says that the kingdom of God is not Meat and drink, but it's, that's that's exactly right. Anybody be able to quote the next scripture? Everybody's got that one down. He that serves God in these things is acceptable. So once God begins to deal with you, about what's good and evil, and you learn the process of putting evil on the altar, God then says, okay, now we're going to start dealing with you about your time. And what we're going to start dealing with is about what what is acceptable to me, and God begins to talk to you about his kingdom. And whether you're going to be used in his kingdom or not. Because if you're going to be used in the kingdom of God, you're going to give up you. And everything that identifies you and everything that you identify yourself as. God will ask you at some point to put that on the altar. And then, after you get done with all of that fun stuff, minor league stuff, God moves on to the perfect, the end of the process, the completion And the scripture says that perfect love casteth out all fear. Perfected love. God begins to deal with you about your motive. He deals with you about good and evil. He deals with you about the kingdom. His kingdom versus your kingdom. You know what your kingdom is, right? You. Whether you're going to be God or whether he's going to be God. And then after you decide, you put all of that on the altar and say, I don't want my, I don't want to be God. You're God. I mean, that's the, that's the best two things that anybody can ever, can ever learn. Number one, I'm not God. Number two, I don't want to be God. (laughs) 
And I, I had a, I will tell you this. I had a, I had a young man. It's probably about eight, nine years old, Sister Middleton. He, he, uh, called the house. He'd been coming to Sunday, Sunday school, called the house. And, uh, well, his mama called and, uh, said, Hey, we need to talk, to, you know, can, uh, my son wants to talk to Brother Mott, whatever, you know, and I like get on the phone. And, uh, it's like, my son has a question. And, you know, Eric, I'm thinking like, I don't know, minor stuff, right? Sunday school type thing. And he gets on, he gets on the phone and the question is, uh, he said, uh, Brother Mott, I, I want to know, how is God perfect? <laughs> uh, just say, that, say that again. I mean, you think about, I mean, that's a stumper. How is it, Stephanie, how is God perfect? I mean, leave it to an eight-year-old, right? Where you're just like, uh, uh, uh. And so, like, ten seconds, pause, you know, that's the, the normal stuff that we do, right, when we don't have an answer. Boy, that's a great question. My God, that's a great, that's powerful. Powerful, right? <laughs> and I and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, uh, and all of a sudden, Holy Ghost says, "God is perfect because He's love. He de- He deals His response to everything that you do, Brother Spriggs, is love. And the way that I'm different than God is I don't respond in love with everything that you do to me." I'm just being plain. God is, God is perfect because His love makes every interaction with Him that you have, that it is a pure motive. So when God begins to deal with you about good versus evil, and, and, and we get that down, and then God begins to deal with you about His kingdom, and we get that down, then the last thing is, is God begins to deal with you about why you do what you do. And if you really, really, really want to know what the tough stuff is to get up on the altar, I'm not saying alcoholism isn't tough. I'm not saying that cocaine is not tough, okay? But an ego? <laughs> oh, little children. <laughs> an, an ego? Bravo? Recognition? Those are the tough things. The very, very tough things. So if you, you want to know, want to be used of God in ministering to other people, you've got to be familiar with the process, the purpose of the altar, and the process of the altar of divine fire falling in your life. The more that it falls in your life, the deeper that you can minister to someone. Everything in this world, everything that has ever been created, has a sound. 
has a sound. Every, everything in this room is moving. It's moving. You might not can feel it. You might not can hear it. You might not can see it. But everything in this room is moving. And everything that moves gives off a sound. In um, Exodus 28-29, can't remember what chapter it is right now, God laid out the garments of Aaron. I think it's 28 and uh, one of the things that he laid out was the ephod, and then he laid, he laid out the, the outer covering, Sister Middleton. And he, he, he talked about the colors, and then he talked about the edges of it, Eric, that the edges would have a pomegranate, a bell, a golden bell, and a pomegranate, blue pom- pomegranate, golden bell, uh, purple pomegranate, Golden Bell, and it went along with that. Anybody found that scripture yet? Is it 28 or 29? 28. Okay. Is that what I said? Scary. All right. So, and the scriptures literally says that those were around Aaron's garment so that there was a sound of ministry. And what happened was, what is that that bell would bang against that fruit and make a very distinct sound so that when Aaron was moving in ministry, there was a sound of ministry that accompanied that. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6, the Scripture says, Now, brethren... If I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? Everything gives a sound. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us Entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Ministry has a sound to it. That there is a profit, a profiting to ministry. One of the reasons... And I, I, I'm not, I don't have anyone in mind, okay? No one. I mean, my mind is blank right now. One of the reasons 
that when we pray for those that we know, so church folk praying for church folk, one of the reasons that we pray in tongues is because we don't know what to say. Right? There is also another reason that when we are praying for other people that we know that we talk in tongues is that we don't have enough experience to minister. We've never allowed God to minister on the deep things of us about our motive, about the kingdom, about certain things. So we have no reference in ministering to them. We have no ability to profit them because the essence, or or really, essence is not the right word. Human nature is, is that when I see you praying, right, that I'm going to view you praying what's going through the lens of what's going on in my life. Let's be honest. Everybody does that. If you're having financial problems and you come down to the, and, and somebody's praying, and you, you got a friend, you know, that's down, but you don't really know what's going on. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be like, boy, I bet they're having finance problems. Because I'm having finance problems. Because we look, it's human nature. We look through the lens of, of ourselves to others. And so what happens is, is that when God is really dealing with the deep things that's going on in people, and we've never, let's just say that they're dealing with motive or ego or you know, the, the really, really difficult things. And we've never allowed God to deal with us about those things. We have, we have no reference or experience or basis of faith to be able to minister to them. And so what do we do? We, we come alongside and we pray in tongues. And the scripture says that when we pray in tongues that we build up our faith. But when we're ministering to others, let me mess with your tradition here a little bit. And you're talking in tongues... And the person you're talking in tongues next to doesn't have a clue what you're saying. What profit? <laughs> don't, don't get mad at me. Don't fuzz up at me. I'm just asking a question. What profit? I mean, let's just be honest. You're up here going through it. Somebody comes along, you know. Praying in tongues next to you. How often do you mix that with faith? I mean, I'm glad somebody's up there praying for me. Support. But the reality of it is, there was no sound of ministry that occurred there. There was no 
there was no ministry that happened. So let's talk real quick about ministry. Here's another key concept that over the years that that I've noticed with people is that there are a lot of people that are involved in ministry that do not understand faith. They believe that faith is some eerie, unattainable destination off in the future. And they view faith as a a destination. Where the reality of it is, is that faith is a process. I mean, does anyone have the same level of faith right now today as you did when you prayed through to the Holy Ghost? Hopefully you have more. Okay, there's this good head nod. That's, that's positive. Hopefully you have more. Because out of your experience, God has built your faith. Right? The more stuff I go through... <laughs> well, that's just the way Jesus is. The more stuff I go through, the more stuff I go through. Because the more dross that comes out, the more dross can come out. You get the top layer off, you can start dealing with the bottom layer. Or the middle layer, the next layer, right? And it never ends. Because God is never through perfecting in your life. But we view faith through this lens of some unobtainable destination and so when we, when we go and we're trying to minister to people and pray with them, there is one single outcome that is acceptable. We got to lay hands on them, right? Pop them up on the forehead. And if they bounce around like a fish on a frying pan, we know God has moved. Or they cry. Or they do some you know, some witness of their faith. And the reality of it is, is that faith is a process. What we do, the simplicity of what ministry is, is being able to identify a need with, with what's going on in someone's life and take them, their, their mind and their focus off of that need and build faith so that they can gain access to Christ. No one, no one, if God does not respond to need. If God responded to need, there would be no hungry, there would be no homeless, no abused, no, you, you, fill, you fill in the blank. God responds to faith. Always has, always will. And so what we do, what our, what our purpose in ministry is, is to be able to understand what that need is. Either through asking them. It's okay to ask them, you know. Generally, the reason that you don't ask and you're trying to sense that is, is mostly about you. So you can come around and say, boy, look what the Lord did. He told me such and such about you. That, I mean, that's, that's true. 
it's okay. Just say, hey, bro, what's going on? Let's pray. And if, and if he says, hey, I'm sick. Okay. Man, let me tell you an experience. One time that I was sick, I had a, uh, a cyst on my uh, tailbone. Hurt so bad I couldn't even, couldn't even sit down, brother. But I prayed, and God healed me. I went to the doctor. They told me I was going to have to have surgery. I said, man, I don't want to have surgery. And I prayed, and God, God healed me of that, and I've never had surgery. I've got a, I've got a hole back there now, literally, that you that can see. And God healed me. I, and God is no respecter of persons. I know what God did for me that he'll do for me, for you. Come on, let's believe right now. Lift your hands right now. Let's believe in faith that God is going to heal you. That's how you turn a person's attention off of it. Do you need healing tonight? Let's pray. In the next, can we pray? I did, I didn't even, I, this is Holy Ghost right here. I had no forethought to this. In the name of Jesus, Father, I plead your blood over this man's body right now. In the name of Jesus, I, I plead the power and the witness of the blood that flowed from the stripes that were placed upon your back for our healing over this man's body. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release that virtue, that healing virtue upon him. In the name of Jesus, God, that for no other reason that you, that you might obtain the glory. We give you the glory for what you've done in this man's life. In the name of Jesus, in his body. Can we thank the Lord right now? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That, that is how you, the, a person, every person has a Do you have a need tonight? Yeah, you got a need tonight? Yeah, you got a need tonight? You got a need tonight? You got a, does anybody in this joint not have a need? No. Everybody in here, I just, we just proved everybody in here has a need. But God's not moving on in everybody's situation. What we've got to do as, as ministers, as those that are working the altar and ministering to other, is to be able to have that certain sound of being able to take a person's need and minister to them, not about the need, but about the faith for them to get from where they are with that need into the presence of God. Amen. Accessing the grace that God has given us. That's what we do. And the less of you that there is to get in the way of that process, the more that God can be God. That's why, that's why John the Baptist initiated the principle. He said, I've got to decrease that he must increase. And the way that I decrease and God increases is every day when God begins to deal with me about the good and the acceptable and the perfect things that are going in my life. I'm quick to say, God, I don't want, I absolutely do not want this. I lay it on your altar right now. Consume it. That's a, that's a prayer that every one of us should have 
every morning. God, let your divine fire fall in my life and consume everything that is not like you. Everything that's not good, everything that's not pleasing, everything that's not perfected in my life, consume it. Because that is the process whereby we become ministers of God. We can give off a certain sound. The the reason that those, if you go to Corinthians, I don't have time to, to touch on it tonight, but but Paul said, you know, you're a tinkling symbol and when you get bell knocking against bell on your ministry robe right it doesn't sound like bell knocking against fruit let me say that a little bit different when you don't have any love in your life nothing's perfected in your life and there's no fruit that's in your life and you've just got bell clanking against bell when you're ministering. That's a sound, but it's not the right sound. But when God perfects his love in you, and then you put giftings, you put, you, you do put giftings in there that is, that is moving against that love, then there's a certain sound that is the right sound of ministry. And it profits those that are around us. It doesn't bring glory to us because we've got, we've got bell banging against fruit. And the only way that fruit got there is to, is to recognize that I'm not God. The faster anyone does, the better off they are and all those that are around them. If you recognize that I'm not God and I don't want to be God, That helps you out and it helps all the folk around you out. Because you you will get love in your life and have love operating in your life. Amen. That's the sound of ministry. Everything makes a sound. Every star makes a sound. This planet makes a sound. You get a piece of rotating equipment that's spinning, it makes a sound. You can measure it. When you walk, you make a sound. And may I just tell you that when you minister, you make a sound as well. And if you don't have love operating in your life, you make a sound of ministry that can really be harmful to you and all those that are around you. If you're not allowing God and his process of divine fire to consume everything in you that is not like him. That's the key concept. Faith, faith is a process. God doesn't deal with me today about the same things that he dealt with me the first week after I prayed through to the Holy Ghost. Because His motive is love. And if he'd have dealt with me about those things the first week after I prayed through, (laughs) Lord Jesus. And when when we don't have love operating in our life, Chester, what happens is, is that we we begin to deal with people in ministry with an ill motive. We take all of our junk 
and insert it in between them and God. And we ruin their process of, of ministry because we will not allow ourselves to be ministered to. Because there's no fruit in our life. There's no perfection. There's no end of that. And that's why you, you know, you get, that's why there's so many train wrecks of when people start ministering to people because they don't have any fruit working in their life. And man, they come down so harsh. God said, you don't do this. You'll bust hell wide open. (laughs) Smell you burning. You don't have any love operating in your life. You, you get someone that's harsh, I'll show you someone that rarely puts themselves on the altar. You see someone moving with compassion and love, I'll show you someone that every day, God, I'm, I'm just sinner, saved by grace. God, don't, don't let me be the same. Don't keep me, don't let me stay where I'm at. I want more of you. I, I want to be closer to you. I, I want my ears to hear more of what you're saying. You see someone moving with compassion and has a word that profits people, I promise you, you're, you're seeing the results of much more of what's going on behind the scenes than what's going on in front of the scenes. Because they, they have, God has perfected them through the cup of suffering. The scripture says, boy, I don't know if I want to open this can of worms, but here we go. The book says that offenses must come. Must come. Because no man, no person knows what's in your heart. You can assume, you can think, you can hope, but until you get in bumper-to-bumper traffic and some idiot cuts you off, you really don't know what's in your heart. Or a family member does you wrong. Or somebody lies on you. And worse, someone believes the lie. (laughs) It's one thing for somebody to lie on you. It's It's another thing altogether when people believe the lie. (laughs) Well, praise the Lord. (laughs) Offenses must come because you don't you you have no idea what's in your heart until someone accuses you of something that you hadn't done. And then all of a sudden. What was dead is yet alive. That that fast and offenses must come. Because offenses and suffering is generally the way that God perfects his love in you. Jesus said it like this. If you you love those that love you, what, and the Greek is, what grace do you have? But those that hate you and lie on you, Steal from you? Anybody ever had any? I'm just this just I just this just bubbled out. Anybody ever had anything stolen from you? <sighs> Lord Jesus, you talk about stuff that's way down deep inside of me. 
get some thieving going on, and it's like, Lord, have mercy. How could... I don't want to kill anybody. I mean, I don't. But the thoughts just overrun. Lord, I give you this. Hold on one second. Let me get where I minister. Jesus, I place all that back on the altar. Lord, burn it up. I thought we had dealt with that, but all of a sudden there it was, right? What was I talking about? Boy, it just... There was something particular there that I was... Offenses must come. Thank you. They must come because... Because those offenses are generally what God uses to be able to deal with us about our motive. Because everything, when everything's going right, everybody likes you. You like everybody. There's no friction. There's no offense. And there's really no reason to dig deep, right? Because everything's just rainbow tears. I mean, uh, unicorn tears and rainbows, right? But when it all goes off, off kilter and, and, it, and it doesn't go the way that you want it to go and you're offended, when you're offended, you find out what's inside of you unbelievably fast. It takes a lifetime to figure out what's inside of you without no offense. That's why it took, that's why it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Whereas one offense, and man, here it is. And then you've got the you've got to decide. Because here it is. And God places that in front of you and says, Okay, now will that live? Or are you going to put it on the altar? And you really only got one choice if you're going to be saved. You got what you got one thing to do. <laughs> Lord help <clears throat> I believe help my unbelief, right? <laughs> Lord take it. <laughs> but we know that God's fire falls in every instance. And when we and we were when we are offended. And we forgive. How much greater does that build our love and our motive that when we are ministering, that we are ministering out of purity? Because we don't want any of the credit. We don't want any of the man. Thank you for praying for it. It just I mean, if you you know, if you're doing it out of out of a I'm going to be really blunt with you. Right. Generally, when it's the Holy Ghost, <laughs> really, there's no, I mean, it's a pure flow of the Holy Ghost. And God speaks, and I speak, and by the time I get to the next person, I don't remember what I said here. And when somebody comes back and says, Brother Mott, thank you for praying for man that word. Let me ask you something about that word. I'm like, <laughs> you're gonna have to remind me what Jesus said to you because I don't really, I don't really remember or know because there's there's no there's no motive 
of where that there's being credit. It, it's as soon as you everything just it was Jesus, and there's no and there's no stew in between that. Because there's been enough suffering in my life, there's been enough offense in my life that I don't want, I don't want to live. I want God to live through me. When you look at me, I want you to see Jesus. I don't want you to see me. Because me, without Jesus, Lord have mercy. This is what, this is what ministry is, to be able to have a pure ministry, a pure flow. God's, God has to have fruit. He has to have love operating in, in you. And in general, the only way that we perfect His love in us is through offense. How else does He deal with your motive? Has anyone ever in the history of the world put your ego on the altar when everything was going good? <laughs> anyone? If you have, you, you know, we probably need to psychoanalyze you so that we get you in the right room where you don't hurt yourself. Because when things are going good, just right on down. But when things when things hiccup and get off track, and we get offended, that's when you that's when you really dig. I've I've got a. Let me just help somebody. Have no one in mind, right? When the word of God offends you, with what's preached. Offenses must come. You know why that is? Because God's working on something inside of you that He couldn't work on unless that Word got in there. And the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4, it says that the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of both soul and spirit. And it, it can get the Word of God can get down inside of you where nothing else can. Nothing else can. And it can shake you to the very core of your foundation. The other thing that can shake you is when, is when uh, your authority comes around and says something that you don't like or they don't agree with what you, with what you got going on. Well, praise the Lord. I'm not talking about you. I'm just going to give you a personal example. Okay, <clears throat> one of the one of the uh, most offended did I say that right? Most offended times that I've ever had in my life, right, was when I felt like that the Lord had spoken to me that I that I was supposed to do X Y Z, right. And uh, had a guy call me that was a friend of mine. He said, hey, man, what are you feeling? I said, well, you know, X, Y, boy, that sounds like God. Ask confirmed, right? So just out of the blue, like, you know, week after that, Bishop calls. And if you guys have never had this call, 
You just thank the Lord. Hey, man, uh, can you come to the parsonage? I'm going to tell you, I'm, herein lies the secret, okay? If Bishop meets with you at church, everything's okay. Everything's good. If he says, hey, can you drop by the parsonage? You should immediately begin to intercede for yourself. Because life as you know it probably is about to change. Hey, man, uh, got a second? Yeah. Can you come by the parsonage more? Uh, Bishop, it's kind of, I really need to see you. <laughs> okay, got it. Uh, such and such time, right? <clears throat> well, I, this, this is real talk. I went in and uh, he said, uh, hey, the Lord spoke to me. And uh, I need you to do ABC. I said, uh, Bishop, I'm pretty sure that I heard the Lord and he said, I was supposed to do X, Y, Z. No, mm-mm. No, we're going to do ABC. <laughs> Bishop, maybe you didn't hear me. What I said was, I heard the Lord, and the Lord said X, Y. No, I, I, no man, I, I, we're going to do ABC. <laughs> what happened was... <laughs> And, and all of a sudden, now, now I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm giving you some life experiences. At the core of every Christian is, is, the, is the faith that I can hear from God. Now think about this just a second, right? I've had God speak to me and tell me to sell everything I own. And move 1,700 miles from where I'm living and cross the state line with all my belongings and not have a job and not know where I'm going to live. That's, that's pretty full of faith, right? And it all worked out. So at the core, Brother Whaley, I feel like I can hear from God. The question I got for you is, is when you're sure that you've heard from God and leadership is sure that they've heard from God and the two don't match, what goes on then? Now, let me just tell you right off the bat, we got up from that meeting and we did ABC. (laughs) Because I'm going through. (laughs) But the motive behind doing ABC. Now that's tough. What do you do when something shakes you to the core to where that you don't know whether you can hear God from not? You're so offended with leadership that you begin to question whether you can hear from God. Whether you know what the voice of God sounds like. How offending is that? Now, can I tell you, I'm going to tell you the end of the story because I'm, I'm, I'm building your faith here, right? I'm just letting you feel how uncomfortable that is of those little jewel meetings at the parsonage. <clears throat> Three years later, well, let's just say sometime later, right? I'm in prayer 
And the Lord takes me back, Sister Johnson, to that living room and that, that chair. And the, and the Lord says, you know how you got here? It's because back there, when I spoke to you and I spoke to your leadership, and I spoke two different things to try your heart and the motive in your heart. You gave the right response. Offenses must come. You think it's difficult when the word of God gets in there and starts messing around with everything that you, you know. Have you come up with a little disagreement with leadership about how you don't feel like that they're spending the money right? <laughs> you thought I was done preaching, but here we are. You don't feel like that we're we're doing things like we should be doing, and you you know, and you see it a different way. You know what's going on? God's got the reins of your heart, seeing which way you're gonna turn, because he's got the he's got the bit in your tongue, and all he's wanting to do is to see if you're gonna turn around and begin to backbite. And talk about leadership. And talk about those that have offended you. You know the book says that when, that when you do that. It's just like you was committing murder. Just like you was killing somebody. When you, when you start talking about them like that. And what God's doing is. God's beginning to deal with you about the deep things. God's beginning to move into this perfected love. So that he can really create in you. A place of ministry where there is a where there is a full and pure flow of giftings and love that flow through you in ministry at the altar. Most people, most people have a difficult time ministering in the altar because they don't they don't allow ministry to occur in themselves. God always deals with us first. He always deals with the man before he deals with the ministry. Not the, not the male, the man, the person. And if God can get the man right, ministry automatically, ministry flows automatically because the person is right. Amen. The principle of the scripture is, is that Divine fire flows, falls in our life, and it consumes everything that's not like God that's in us. And then therefore, we can minister as the voice of God flowing through us, because we don't have anything inside of us that we're trying to put on someone else. We've already dealt with all of that junk. Faith is a process, and the more faith that you have operating in your life, the greater faith that you can build in someone else's life when you see the need to be able to get them to a place of faith. Let's lift our hands right now. Just feel like the Lord is wanting to have a little pause. In the name of Jesus. Come on, we we got just a few minutes here. Look, 
Let's put some things on the altar. Maybe some things that should have been on the altar a long time ago. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, by faith and acknowledgement that you are a good God. That your love is perfect, God. Let us trust you, Father, to put everything on your altar. Every motive, every word, every want, every desire. In the name of Jesus, by your grace, Lord, help us, Father, to be more like you. Well, let's stand to our feet. I think I'm done. Let's stand to our feet and pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ha <clears throat> ha. In the name of Jesus, God let tonight someone go farther than they've ever gone before in you. God let them to give up. In the name of Jesus, help them to turn over control by your grace, Father. In the name of Jesus, form us, fashion us, God. In your likeness that we can be used of you. That we can be instruments of ministry, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I, I, I want to, I just, I feel to leave this. Last scripture here with you, First John chapter four and verse seven. And uh, I, 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 I believe, uh, I pray that the spirit of revelation has moved in this place, and that there is greater understanding in your life about what God wants to do in your life than there ever, than there ever has been. And I pray that there is a acknowledgement that to be used of God you have to know God I I don't know who this is for I'm just going to reinforce something because I believe someone in here God God is working on perfecting his love in you and that you you somehow or another you have gotten sideways and you are offended and you are holding on to that offense 
and justifying yourself and holding on to that offense. And I leave you with this scripture. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. No man has seen God at any time. But you know God is on the scene because when we love one another. No man, no one has ever seen God. But the way that you know that God is on the scene is when you love one another. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. The Greek word judgment there is actually crisis. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of crisis, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother... He is a liar. I'm not saying that. That's God saying that. You cannot harbor an offense against a brother. You cannot hate your brother and love God. I love God and hateth his brother. He is alive. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath seen?
not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. May I say to you that offenses must come. You're offended not because what someone did to you. You're offended because what is inside you, God is trying to get out. (laughs) Let me try that one more time. You're not offended because someone did something to you. You're offended because God, there is something in you that God is trying to get out of you. The offense is not about them. The offense is about you. Now I know that's still water. But if you harbor the hate that you've got because someone has wronged you, you're a fool. Because the offense is not about them, it's about you. In the name of Jesus, let's pray. We have a prayer request request here. Please pray for Sister Bundy. She's in a lot of pain. And also pray for her granddaughter. She's in the hospital. In the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your spirit, for the spirit of revelation. God, by your grace, empower your people, Father, to love one another, to love you and to love people. In the name of Jesus, by your grace, Lord, Help us, God, to not stay unchanged and unloved, Lord. In the name of Jesus, help us to trust you and your love. God, we pray and plead your blood on Sister Bundy. God, that you'd touch her body, touch her granddaughter. In the name of Jesus, let your will be done in their lives. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God bless you. Look at there, 905, your car might still work. Probably a pumpkin, but it might still work. God bless you.